Well, it is great to see you guys here. Before I get started, I want to take a few minutes of my speaking time to tell you about what's coming up this week because I think it's that important. It's that, uh, that big of a deal. I want to make sure you understand what's happening and why it's happening. We're going to talk about that more in just a minute. But this is a big week for us leading up to Easter. And here's the thing about Easter, and you, you probably realize this, but uh, we all need to be reminded from time to time. This week leading up to Easter presents us with an extraordinary opportunity, those of us who follow Jesus, to, an extraordinary opportunity to let the people in our community know, to let our friends know, to let our neighbors know, to let our family members and our coworkers and you know classmates or whoever know that God is for them. And the reason it's a great opportunity is because at this time of year, particularly in this area, in our little neck of the woods here, everybody's attention turns to Easter. If you're not a Christian or you're not a church person or you know, you're trying to figure out what you believe, you, you know this is true, right? Even though you're not sure you believe it or buy into it all, we're just, we're just in a little part of the world where all of our attention kind of shifts to Easter, and most everybody thinks, well, maybe I should go to church on Easter, or you know, maybe I should consider showing up and exploring a relationship with God a little bit. It's just a great opportunity. So there are several events we're doing this week leading up to Easter. They're designed to make it easy for you to invite your friends, easy for you to hopefully get a lot of your friends and family members who do not go to church and who are trying to figure it out to show up and celebrate Easter with us, okay? So I want to walk through it real quickly, and then we'll jump into why we do this, and we'll jump into the message today. So uh, most of you probably know already, but tonight's going to be a a really fun night. Tonight we have our night of worship. We're really excited about this. It's at 6 p.m. right here at the CFSB Center. It's the very first time we've done it here. Our service programming team, by the way, has done a fabulous job of creating what's going to be a really meaningful experience for you tonight. So uh, if you love music, if you, uh, if you have always thought to yourself when you come here, I wish the band did more music and Matt did less talking, well, tonight's your night, okay? So show up tonight. You're going to get your wish because gonna be, we're going to do quite a bit of music. I'm going to do very little talking, I promise. But, uh, but our goal and our hope is that tonight is going to help you prepare for this week leading up to Easter and kind of get our hearts focused on where it needs to be. It's going to be a really, really special time, so come back out tonight at 6 for that. And I'm going to tell you tonight uh, how you can gain access and find a devotional. Our team's put together a seven-day devotional that you can start tomorrow leading up to Easter to get you prepared for Easter. So you'll hear about all of that tonight. And then if you are a college student, listen up college students, uh, we're really excited about this and the opportunity to do this. We're partnering up with Allegro Marinade and Dr. Davies for Barbecue with Bob. If you haven't heard about this, this is going to be a blast. It's Tuesday from 3.30 to 5.30 and it's going to be at Dr. Davies' house on his lawn, okay, on Oakhurst Lawn. And basically there's going to be a ton of free food there so you want to show up and eat. It's going to be incredible. And there will be games there, cornhole, all kinds of stuff going on. It's just a great way to hang out. Dr. Davies said, hey, I'd love to throw a party to celebrate the end of the school year and to celebrate everything students have done this year. So we're throwing a party, okay? So you can come. You can bring your friends. Here's, here's one of the reasons we're excited about this. If you're a college student or you know some college students and you uh, have or they have some friends that you've been trying to get to church and not sure how to get to church, you just bring them to this event. It's going to give you a chance to invite them to Easter. It's going to give you a chance to introduce them to our church. So that's going to be Tuesday. And then if you are a high school student or if you're the parent of a middle school student or maybe your middle school student in here. Here's the thing you need to know. Wednesday night is Nerf night 
right here at the CFSB Center, Wednesday night's Nerf night, and basically was good. there's going to be a ton of games and a ton of fun for middle and high schoolers Wednesday night from 6.30 to 8. Again, it is an opportunity for you as a high schooler, an opportunity for your middle schooler, if you're a parent of a middle schooler or a high schooler, to invite some friends who don't go to church, to invite some friends who maybe don't know that God is for them, and to introduce them to our church in an environment that's just going to be a lot of fun. Now, uh, if you're a high school student, you're not going to get this. You're going to have to Google it. You can do that now if you want. I don't care. But I'll explain to those of you who are parents real quickly what this really is, okay? Do you remember the show several years ago called American Gladiators? where everybody shot at each other, and it was like testosterone-filled, and it was just awesome. Okay, basically, with a bunch of Nerf guns, we're creating American Gladiators for these students. So they're going to have a blast. It's going to be a really fun, really fun night, so make sure you show up for that. And then Saturday, next Saturday, next Saturday is our Easter egg hunt where we're partnering up again with Bristol Communications. If you have never been a part of this, let me tell you, this is a pretty extraordinary event. There are a few thousand families from our community who show up at Central Park, from about 10 to 12, and they all, on all the different baseball fields, all the kids get to hunt for Easter eggs. And our role in it, we're so happy to to be involved in this because our role in it is we get to show up as volunteers and just greet people, direct people, interact with people, make it a really fun experience for people. And it is a blast, is a blast to volunteer for this, okay? It's a blast to volunteer for this. So I tell you that because one of the things we get to do, Bristol's so gracious, they say, you know what? We appreciate your help. Why don't you invite everybody who comes to your Easter services? So we get to give an invite out and invite everybody. It's a lot of fun. So if you would be willing to, to get involved and to help us for a couple hours on Saturday morning, we would love to have your help. We can't have too much help on this day. You can right now. It's fine. You can pull out your phone, text your name and the word serve to this number, 270-883-2221. And that's all you need to do, and we'll get you the info you need to know to serve. But I promise you, you will have a lot of fun. You can serve as a family. It's a great event to serve as a family. The other thing, if you're a college student and you want to be involved helping us with the barbecue with Bob on Tuesday, you want to greet students as they arrive and just help with the games and stuff, you can stop at the table next to the suite after the service. You can get info on how to do that. We'd love for you to jump in and help us do all of that. And then comes next Sunday, which is the big day. For everybody. Next Sunday is our Easter celebration. We're going to have services at 9 and 10.30. We are expecting um, more people for Easter this year than we have ever had before. We are ready for them. So bring all your family, all your friends who are not in church to celebrate. You can send them to easterwithjourney.com for all the information. It's all right there, but we're looking forward to that. Now, part of the reason I told you all that is because I want to take a few minutes to explain to you why all of this matters. Why we do what we do, not just the week of Easter, why we do what we do in general. The reason we're doing these events is the same reason we started our church. The reason we're doing these events is the same reason that we've done everything we've done every single week from the time we started to now. Because we really are committed to leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus. That is a big deal for us. But the thing that makes us a little unique is we just don't think a growing relationship with Jesus should be for church people. We think it should be for all people. We think it should be easy for all people. We believe that our Heavenly Father is for and wants a relationship with 
every single person in our community. It does not matter who you are, what you've done. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter how you behave. It doesn't matter if, you know, we agree with you or not agree with you. We think everybody deserves to know they have a Father in heaven who loves them and cares about them and wants a relationship with them. And even if you don't believe like us, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're just trying to figure all this out or maybe you had a bad church experience and you've left for a long time and you're just coming back, the thing you have to understand is you may not believe or behave like we do, and that's perfectly fine with us because we think you ought to be able to belong. We think you ought to be able to be accepted and we think you ought to be able to explore a relationship with your heavenly father in a way that is simple, in a way that is easy, in a way that is safe for you. But the challenge is, this is a challenge for us, this is a challenge for all churches. The challenge is, over the years, over the centuries, Christians and churches have had a way of taking that very simple idea and that very simple message that God is for people, God wants a relationship with people. We have had a way of taking that and making that so complicated so confusing, so difficult for people to understand. And I'll prove it to you. I'll tell you, I'll tell you how you know this is true. Because what happens every single Easter all across our area? Churches are full of people who haven't been to church in months and months and months or years and years and years. And they show up for a service on Easter Sunday and they walk out and they think to themselves, well, that's exactly why I don't go to church. That just reminded me of that because I felt so out of place. It was like I was crashing a family reunion. I didn't know what to do. And, you know, I couldn't understand what they were talking about. And so people don't show up till the next Easter. But we are passionate about making sure we create a church that people not in church love to attend just as much as church people love to attend. We think that is our responsibility. We don't just think that's a good idea. We think that is something that God has entrusted with us to do, and it is what he wants everyone to do. And the reason we believe that is because when you open up the New Testament and you begin to read these accounts of Jesus' life, you find that Jesus talked about this responsibility over and over again. And when you begin to read the letters and the accounts of the early church and you know everything that went on, you find that they wrestled with this responsibility. Here's what's so amazing. When Jesus showed up on this earth, he spent three years investing in the people who were going to lead the first church, who were going to take this movement and help it to spread around the world. And no sooner had he died and risen again and left this earth, I mean, it was like 20 minutes after, and the first church that started there in Jerusalem had already begun to make it complicated and make it difficult for people to turn to God. They'd already begun to take this very simple message and turn inward where people who were on the outside didn't feel comfortable, people on the outside couldn't understand, people on the outside didn't feel like they could be a part. They did it in a lot of different ways, but basically what they did is they began to say, well, you know, it's important to know that God is for you and he loves you and there's grace and forgiveness for you. But in addition to that, and they started adding on things, hoops you had to jump through, things you had to do, you know, requirements you had to meet. And it just got so difficult. It just got so complicated. And quite honestly, we might not be sitting here today if it had not been for a man that we know by the name of Paul. Now, what I love about Paul's story is that Paul didn't start out, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid and on board with this Jesus movement. Paul started out the exact opposite. Paul started out so passionate about making sure that this movement stopped. Paul's, he was one of the most powerful people in Jerusalem at the time, one of the most powerful religious leaders. And he was convinced and he was certain that God was not for all people. He was only for a select group of people. And so Paul's goal was simply this. I'm going to stop this message before it spreads. And if you know much about his story, you know he meant that. And he was 100% committed. 
And he stood by as Christians were executed because they spread the message. He had Christians arrested. He had Christians persecuted. He ended up starting a persecution that just caused Christians to scatter all over the place at that time. And Paul would have done everything in his power to stop this message if it hadn't been for the fact that he had a personal face-to-face encounter with Jesus. And when that happened, everything changed. Literally in a moment, Paul did a 180. And once he discovered it really was true, once he discovered that our Heavenly Father really is for everyone, Paul devoted the rest of his life to making sure people knew that. He would travel around the known world at that time. It was so difficult to travel back then, but he would go to town after town, city after city. He would share this message. He would start churches. He was doing everything he could to spread the message. And when that early church in Jerusalem started making it difficult for people to turn to God, difficult for people to understand the message, it was Paul who stepped in and who challenged them. Now just stop and think about this for a minute. How hard would it be to challenge Peter? Like Peter's been with Jesus for three years. Peter's like the spokesman for the whole group. How hard would it be to stand up and say, Peter, I think you're wrong. I'll do you one better. How hard would it be to look at Jesus' brother James, who's one of the leaders of the first church? James didn't believe in Jesus until after he rose from the dead. But how hard would it be to look at James and to say, hey, uh, your brother didn't teach that. I think you're wrong. But that's exactly what Paul did. He showed up and he began to challenge the fact that they were making it complicated. And to their credit, they listened. To their credit, they listened. And Paul continued to spread the simple message that God is for you that your heavenly Father wants a relationship with you, and that forgiveness is available to everyone. And it cost him a lot. It cost him a lot of suffering. It cost him a lot of persecution. He gave up a lot to do it. But he was passionate about making sure it happened because, and we're about to see this, because he felt this extraordinary responsibility that God had entrusted to him to spread that message, to make sure everyone knew how their heavenly Father felt about them. So what I want to do for a few minutes today is I want to talk about that responsibility. And I want to talk about how that responsibility intersects with all of us who say we follow Jesus. And if you're not a Christian, if you wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, here's the thing I hope you walk away from. The good news for you is you're not accountable to do anything we talk about today. So you can just sit back and relax. But I hope you walk away with a little bit of a different view, a little bit of a different perspective, a little bit of a different understanding of how your heavenly father feels about you. So Paul one time was writing to some Christians and a church that he had started in a city called Corinth. And he's trying to explain to them why it matters so much that they, you know, that they're passionate, why it matters so much that they handle this responsibility well. Why it matters so much that they make sure everybody in their little community of Corinth knew that God was for them. And here is what he wrote. Here's what he wrote in this letter. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, here's what he said. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. Now, let me explain this phrase real quick because it's confusing. Matter of fact, if you grew up in certain church cultures or church settings, this phrase, fear the Lord, actually puts the fear of God into you, doesn't it? Because some of us were taught, hey, if you don't do what God wants you to do, he's going to get you. If you don't do what God wants you to do, like you're going to pay. He's, he's going to punish you in some way. And so we associate this phrase, fear the Lord, with that. But that's not what it means. Here's all it means. Think of it this way. All of us have people in our lives that we respect so much, that we're so grateful for, that we appreciate so much. Maybe it's a parent. 
Maybe it's a grandparent. Maybe it's a boss who invested in you and helped you along in ways that, you know, they didn't have to do. Maybe it's a teacher who stepped in or a coach who stepped in, a significant point. But you just have so much respect. You've got so much appreciation for that person and for what they did. That whenever you live your life, whenever you make decisions, one of the things you think about often is, I don't want to let them down. I want to make them proud of me. I want to make sure that, that I am living my life in such a way that they can look at me and they could say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm so proud of what you're doing. Because of the love, because of the respect, because of the appreciation you have for that person, it impacts the choices you make and it impacts the way you live your life. Well, that's what Paul is talking about here. Paul is saying, I, when I say fear the Lord, I'm just saying I understand this extraordinary opportunity that my Heavenly Father has given me. And Paul understood that in spite of the fact that he had persecuted and murdered Christians, his Heavenly Father still forgave him. His Heavenly Father still gave him this opportunity to live for something bigger than himself. And so he says, in light of all the appreciation I have, in light of the fact that, you know, I'm so grateful for what God has done, I just want to, because, because of this, I want to make him proud. Because of this, I want to show my appreciation. Because of this, I want to do everything I can to persuade others or to point others to Jesus. And he drives into this a little bit more and explains this when you get to verse 14. Here's what he says. For Christ's love, he says, compels us. In other words, Paul would say, if you ask me why I do what I do, if you ask me why I have endured going into towns and being kicked out because of the message I shared, if you want to know why I've gone into towns and I have been stoned because of the message I shared, and I turned around, and I, not stoned like, yeah, but stoned with rocks. I just thought I should clarify that. If you... If you want to know why I've gone in and had, you know, I've had beatings, I've had rocks thrown at me, I've been imprisoned, and I'm still sharing this message, it's because of Christ's love. It's because of this extraordinary thing that my Heavenly Father's done for me, and I cannot help but hold on to this responsibility. I feel compelled to try to help other people understand. Specifically, Paul wanted them to understand this. He goes on, he says, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. Now, here's all Paul's saying by that. Paul's saying, I am convinced that when Jesus was crucified by the Romans, it was not a normal Roman crucifixion. Jesus was not crucified for his sins. Jesus was not crucified for his crimes. Jesus was not crucified for insurrection against the Romans like so many other people were. He was sinless. Paul would say, I, we believe he was perfect. He did not die for his own sins. He died for ours. One, that is Jesus, died for all. And by all, Paul would say that literally means people who believe and people who don't. People who want a relationship, people who don't. Doesn't matter who you are, what you've done. Jesus, we believe, died for everyone. And he had to die for everyone because our relationship with our Heavenly Father was broken. Whenever you sin, in other words, whenever you act in a way out of line with God's design, whenever you choose not to trust God in some area of your life, there is a debt that a relationship created. Now, we understand this because we do this with one another, don't we? Whenever you hurt someone, you feel like you owe them something. You feel like you've got to make it up. You feel like there's, there's a debt that you've got to pay to kind of bring things, make things right again. Well, Paul says that happens in our relationship with God. And Jesus stepped in, and in his death and resurrection, we'll talk more about this next week, but he paid a debt we could not pay. He died and rose again to pay the penalty, for our sins. And Paul said, we are convinced that is true. Paul would say, I am convinced that is true because I have experienced it myself. And then he goes on. He says, and he, that is Jesus, died for all, 
that those who live, in other words, that those who begin to follow him, that those who embrace this, now notice this, should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Paul said, for those of us who follow Jesus, the minute we begin following Jesus, our faith should not be about us. Our faith is not there. Our relationship with God is not there for our benefit. It's not about, well, yeah, I just love following Jesus because look at what he does, and I pray and ask God to meet this need and to provide for this and to help and on and on. Everything's kind of about me, and God does all these things and makes my life better, so I just love it. Paul says that's not how, why you should live. When you begin to follow Jesus, you should live for something bigger than yourself. You should live for the purpose for which Jesus died and called you to live. Your focus should turn from inward to outward. And then Paul sums all this up in verse 18. He says, all of this is from God. He did it all. We had nothing to do with it. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Let me just pause. You know what the word reconcile means. It just means to take two things out of agreement, two things out of alignment, and bring them together, bring them into alignment. Paul says that is what Jesus did for us in his death and resurrection. We were out of agreement and out of alignment with God, and through his death, through the forgiveness he offers, we can be in a right standing with our heavenly Father. When God saw we were out of alignment and agreement with him, he did not say, well, too bad for them. They should have paid better attention. They should have lived better. They should have respected me more. He actually jumped in, got involved, paid a debt we couldn't pay, bridged a chasm, a gap we couldn't bridge, and made a way for us to be reconciled to him. But that is not the end of it. Paul says, all this is from God, who gave us, didn't just reconcile us, but gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Well, what in the world does that mean? Well, he's going to explain it. He says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Now, notice this. Not counting people's sins against them. This is the whole message in a nutshell. This is what it means that our Heavenly Father is for us. This is what it means that God wants a relationship with us. Paul said, we want to make sure everybody in our communities understand. Our Heavenly Father does not want to count people's sins against them. And the minute you choose to embrace His forgiveness, the minute you enter a relationship with Him, He no longer counts your sins against you. That is an extraordinary, extraordinary message. You just grasp that simple idea. And it will change the way you view life, and it will change the way you view your heavenly Father forever. And then Paul sums it up with this. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. If you follow Jesus, your heavenly Father has placed in your hands, he has entrusted to you this extraordinary message that God is for us and doesn't want to count our sins against us. And the way Paul explains that is this, verse 20. He says, we are therefore Christ ambassadors. You know what an ambassador is. We've all seen this. An ambassador is simply someone who lives in a foreign country and represents their nation, represents their power, represents, you know, their sovereignty, whatever they represent, represents that in the foreign nation. An ambassador doesn't go and try to figure out his own agenda and, you know, make his own plans. An ambassador simply represents the one who sent him to a foreign government, to a foreign power, and represents the best interest, represents the message, communicates the message of his nation 
to that foreign government. That's all an ambassador does. And Paul said, for those of us who follow Jesus, we are his ambassadors. That God, and I can't explain why he chose to do this, but God decided, the way I'm going to take this message of how much I love people and what I've done and make sure everybody in the world understands it, is I'm going to let the people who follow me represent me. I'm going to let the people who follow me pass on that message. I'm going to let the people who follow me be an ambassador for me and for this message. He says, we're therefore Christ ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. What is that appeal? Paul says, we implore you on Christ's behalf. The appeal is really simple. It's four words. Be reconciled to God. Let people know that they have a Father in heaven who loves them, and they can have a relationship with him. That's it. It's that simple. It's that simple. Now, here's why this is so important to understand. If you're not a a follower of Jesus, maybe this will connect some dots for you. If you're not a Christian, this may explain why you've had issues with Christians before, because we're not always very good at this, okay? But this principle Paul's trying to teach us is true, whether we're good at it or not good at it. What Paul's driving at is this simple idea that what you say as a follower of Jesus and what you do, what you say and what you do, don't just reflect on you. They reflect on Jesus too. Now, don't miss that. If you're a Christian, you have to understand what you say and what you do. Every single interaction, every single action, every single conversation you have, they all matter because what you say and what you do, they don't just reflect on you. They reflect on Jesus, too, because you are his ambassador, you are his representative. When you embrace the message, you become a messenger. That means, this is why, that when you go to work tomorrow, you should be the very best employee you can possibly be at work. Listen, the way it should work is this. Your supervisor, your direct report, your boss, your president, whoever it is, the people who you work with, should look at you and say, you know what, I I don't believe what they believe. I'm not really sure I buy into all of that. But I am so glad that they work here. I'm so glad they work here because they give their best effort every single day. We can trust them. We don't have to worry about them walking away with things that they shouldn't have. We don't have to worry about them representing us in ways they shouldn't represent us. We trust them completely. They have so much integrity. They're the best employees we have. I don't believe what they believe, but I'd love a workforce. I'd love an office. I would love an organization full of Christians working here because they're extraordinary. They're extraordinary. They're such good employees. That ought to be our reputation. If you're a student, it means when you go to school, your teachers, your professors should say, you know what, I don't buy into all that and believe all that, but I'll tell you what. I wish I had a classroom full of Christians because of the way that they're so respectful because of how hard they work, because of how they give best effort every time, and because of how kind they are to other people in their class, even people who don't agree or believe like they do. This means that when we show up at sporting events, that we're, when we're at ball games, when we're at soccer matches, when we're at swim meets, whatever it is, that referees should say, I wish the stands were full of Christians. Because they're the only people who don't curse us out and scream at us when we screw up. That is not reality yet, is it? But that's how it should be. That is how it should be. That coaches should say, you know what? I don't believe like they do, but I wish I had a team full of Christians. I wish all the parents of the kids on my team were Christians because of how incredibly supportive and respectful they are. 
and how much grace they show when they disagree, how much grace they show when we make a mistake. It means when you go, if you're a parent, you go to a parent-teacher conference, the teacher should be excited to see you coming. Because even if you don't agree with some things that have happened with your student, you're going to be so kind, you're going to be so understanding, you're going to be so respectful. They just love having conversations with you. This is how it ought to be. Now, we're not perfect, and we don't always get it right, do we? Which is why if you're not a Christian, you've had some issues with Christians before because you've run into Christians who didn't understand this, and you ran into Christians who represented Jesus very poorly, and and you made some assumptions about who God is and how he feels about you based on how Christians acted or how Christians treated you. And that's understandable because we are his representatives. We weren't good at it. We didn't get it right. We messed it up. But I know why you would do that. You should do that because we represent him. But as Christians, this is why it matters so much. Because we get to take this extraordinary message that our Heavenly Father is for people, forgives people, wants a relationship with people, and they will know that simply by us because we're the ambassador. And what we say and what we do don't just reflect on you. They reflect on Jesus, too. So when you mess up, and we all mess up, you know what it looks like to handle that? It looks like this. You own it, and you go and you apologize, and you say, I shouldn't have lost my temper. I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have done that. You just own it. But the people around us who are not Christians, even though we're not perfect, they should see us growing. They should see us improving. They should see us gaining more self-control as time goes on. They should see us being kind, more kind as time goes on. They should see us showing more compassion or empathy as time goes on. We should be more honest as time goes on because we are representing the one who has changed our lives. And the more we cooperate with him, the more like him we should be. So I have a question I want to ask you. And then I want to drill down into what it means specifically this week as we lead up to Easter. Here's what I want you to think about. It's a simple question. Who is far from God but near to you? Who's far from God but near to you? In other words, who are the people in your life? Who are the people you work with, go to school with, you live near? Who are the people who don't know their Heavenly Father is for them? But they're in your life. Now, do you realize there's a reason they're in your life? They're not there by accident. They are there for a purpose. Your heavenly father chose to cause them and their lives to intersect with yours so you could represent who he is to them. That's why they're in your life. And we don't always get it right. But you need to think about who is far from God but near to me and then how am I representing my heavenly father to them? In other words, if... If somebody were to go and say to them, hey, you're friends with so-and-so, they're a Christian, tell me, based on how they treat you, based on how they live, based on how they behave, what do you think God is like? Would it be what you would want to hear? When you don't get it right, and for some, all of us, we don't from time to time, that means, and maybe for us this week, it means we need to have some conversations, we need to make some apologies, we need to own some things. But even in owning those things, we gain credibility and an opportunity to represent our Heavenly Father well. So, as you think about who's far from God but near to you, I want to encourage you to do two things specifically. The first one is, this week, why don't you extend some invitations? Because we're coming up on Easter, and it's on everybody's mind. And you're going to have an opportunity to invite some of those people to come and hear for themselves how much God loves them. 
You couldn't find a better Sunday than Easter. Now, we're going to make it really easy for you, okay? Here's what we're going to do. When you leave today, there's some tables up at the top. There are also some tables in lower concourse A. And on those tables are Easter baskets. And in those Easter baskets are some invites to our Easter service, some candy, and some cookies from Wild Mountain Bakery. Now, listen to me very carefully. They are not for you. Don't eat them. You hear me? If I catch you eating them, you're paying for that basket. Don't eat the cookies. Let me tell you what they're for. We want you to grab as many of them as you want to when you leave. You can grab one, two, five, ten, I don't care. You grab as many as you want to until they're gone. And you take them this week to your workplace. You take them to, you know, your neighbors. You take them wherever you're going, to the soccer field, wherever you're going. And you just give people an Easter basket with those cookies, and you say, hey, happy Easter from me and from our church. You just hand it to them. And it's got an Easter invite in there, and maybe it'll open up a conversation and you can invite them. But either either way, it's a way to let them know. You can extend some invitations this week, really simply. And the reason this is so important, don't miss this, the reason this is so important is because one simple invitation can lead to somebody's transformation. You have no idea. I've watched this over nearly 12 years now. You have no idea how a simple invitation can be used by God to change the entire trajectory of somebody's life. It happens all the time around here. So ask yourself, who's far from God but near to me, and make some invitations this week. Now, the other thing I want to ask you to consider doing is a little more long-term. Some of you have been coming here for a little while. You love this church. You tell your friends about it. You invite people. But you have never gotten involved here. You've never gotten involved. We need you to consider getting involved, and I'll tell you why. Because the most powerful thing that happens every Sunday The most powerful things that happens every Sunday is not what I do. It is not the music, even as awesome as that is. The most powerful thing that we see happen every Sunday is when people who volunteer here show God's grace in a very tangible way, show people how much God loves them by how well they serve them. It is extremely powerful. And you may not realize this, but every single Sunday is somebody's first Sunday here. We don't ever have a Sunday where there's not a guest with us. So if you're a guest, you're in good company. There are others of you around here. We have guests every single week. And we continue, as we continue to grow, we continue to want to engage as many of you as possible in serving the people who walk through our doors. And so if you're not serving, I want to encourage you to consider it. I'm not asking you to commit. I'm just asking you to consider it. When you came in today, you got a card. They handed you a card that looks like this. All you have to do is fill your name and info out. You can do that right now. And if you're interested in one of our family ministry areas, you can explore that. If you're interested in guest services, you can explore that. If you want to explore something else, don't check anything. Just put your info on it. And then I'm going to ask you as you leave today, there are going to be guest services team members at all the exits. They're going to have a bucket. You can just drop the card in the bucket, and we'll get in touch with you and start a conversation and help you get involved. Because you can do something. You don't even understand this, but you can do something that God will use in such a powerful way, you can show people God's grace very tangibly by serving them. So if you're not involved, take this step. If you're not involved, give it a shot. Because this is part of what it means to be an ambassador. This is part of what it means to represent our Heavenly Father well. It's to serve other people. And we've made it really simple for you to do. So let me wrap up with these two questions. Who do you need to invite? Who do you need to invite? 
And where do you need to get involved? You need, this is your next step. You need to answer both of these and you need to move on it. Because what you say and what you do don't just reflect on you. They reflect on Jesus too. Now, last thing and I'll wrap up. If you're, if you're not a follower of Jesus, one, this is why we do what we do. And I hope you walk out of here understanding that we're committed enough to this that we do everything in our church with you in mind. We want to make sure that this isn't just a place that Christians love to attend. It's a place you love to attend, and it's a place that makes it easy for you to connect with God because we want you to understand what Paul said, that Jesus died and rose again. So your Heavenly Father didn't have to count your sins against you. You could be forgiven. You could have a relationship with Him. You could come to know Him in a way that maybe you didn't think was possible. Now, what you do with that is up to you. But we want to make sure it's clear. We want to make sure you understand that there is a Father in heaven, and he loves you, he cares about you, and he wants a relationship with you. That's why he sent his son. That's why we celebrate Easter. And if you will, right where you're sitting, if you will just tell God, I I want your forgiveness and I want a relationship with you, that's all it takes. That is all it takes. And you'll have one. Because that's how much your Heavenly Father wants to be in a right standing with you. For those of us who call this our church home, this is what we do. This is why we do it. And this is why it matters. So who do you need to invite? And then if you're not involved, where do you need to get involved? Your little bit of time can make a lifetime of difference for somebody else. So don't ignore that. Fill out the card. Get involved with us. And you will be amazed at what God not only does through you, you will be amazed at what God begins to do in you as you represent him to people in our community who walk through our doors every single Sunday. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the confidence that we have that you want a relationship with us. Thank you for going to the ultimate extreme and paying the ultimate price by sending your son so that we could be in a right standing with you again. For those of us who um, follow you, would you bring to mind the people in our life who are far from God but near to us? And would you give us opportunities this week to grab some Easter baskets, to hand them out, to however the conversation happens, but to invite some people to Easter so they can hear for themselves how much you care about them? And would you help us to represent you well tomorrow at the workplace, tomorrow in class, tomorrow wherever we go and whatever we do? Help us to have the humility that when we mess it up, we'll admit it. When we mess it up, we'll apologize. And we'll keep growing and cooperating with you. For those who aren't involved yet here, what an extraordinary opportunity we have to show people in our community every single week how much you love them simply by serving them well. So help them to take the step to fill out a card to explore serving 
Because what you do in us when we turn our attention from all oh, our face all about us, and I'm so glad because of the benefits I get, when we turn our attention and begin to live for a purpose bigger than ourselves, it is extraordinary. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.